That's all of our hope today, isn't it? We're all going to live again. Greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. What a privilege it is for us to be gathered together. Imagine what it'll be when all the saints of God down through the ages that have lived for what they knew in their day and they'll be gathered together in this blessed land that we're all living for. All the singing, all the musicians, all the praise, the adoration, I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine what it's going to be like. I do know one thing. I don't want to miss it. I want to be there by the grace of God. Let's turn again today, if you would, to the Psalm of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 10. Greet you today in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's for his sake and on his behalf that we're able to to be called his people. My beloved speak and said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. Now this is written with the Mediterranean climate in mind, so to us it doesn't make a lot of sense, but with uh, you understand their climate, you understand how that the rain showers come, and that they get the majority of their rain in the wintertime, and then they would get the former and the latter rain, and then in between those rains would be very, very dry. So for them, the heavy rains is now past. Lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, which is what happens in an arid type of climate. Places in Africa that there hasn't been any rain recorded in over a hundred years. A hundred years. And yet, on that rare occasion when the rain will come, in a matter of weeks, flowers will burst out of the ground by the thousands. That seed lay there for over a hundred years, dried up, seemed like, but life brought it. Amen. The flowers appear on the earth. Now, this is part of the symbolism, of course, that Solomon is using here in the Song of Solomon. The flowers appear just like they wasn't there and all of a sudden there they are. Appear on the earth. The time of the singing of the birds has come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs and the vines with the tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, how we long to hear, maybe not these identical words that was written by Solomon, but your words beckoning us to that land beyond the river. Lord, we've sung about it, we've talked about it, we've longed for it. Lord, one day we know it's going to happen. Father, we are so grateful today that you have included us in your great economy. Pray that you would help us today as we endeavor to look into your word, that we might have a greater understanding of what you're doing in this our day. Father, of what you have planned for us, we ask you today, Jesus, you would comfort the hearts of those that might be weary, any that are sick, many are still fighting sickness, viruses, different things that are going around, but we pray for your grace and mercy, Lord. We ask, Father, that you would take the word and may we be able to be caught up into heavenly places in Christ and speak things that will help us, Lord. 
we realize if there will be anything of eternal value that will come out of this service today, it will have to be you that does it. If not, it will just be feeble men putting forth their efforts. And we might have said, well, it was nice to be together, but we don't want to leave with that attitude. We want to leave knowing that we've sat together in heavenly places and Christ Jesus has walked among us. Help us today, Father, we pray. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we ask it. Amen. God bless you, saints. You may be seated. <clears throat> Imagine if our minds, for a few moments, could be able to move from this natural vision, which we all have. Our hearts would be able to transcend all that we know in mortality. And somehow our souls would be captured just for five minutes' time. We would be able to move into the lands of the millennium. I dare say none of us would ever want to come back. Now, this story that I desire to bring to you today, it's not imagined in the minds of religious decrepit people that don't understand about life. It's not brought up in the Hollywood studios or Disneyland. It is brought together by the Almighty God Himself. And this is what gives us confidence to know that it is true. It is His promises. It's a plan that God Himself ordained before the foundation of the world. He slowly unfolded this mystery up to where we are even this very day. And think, the scriptures that we're going to read this morning and the direction that we wish to go again on our honeymoon in the millennium, we could be from this very day three and a half years Amen. from entering into the very first morning of the millennium. Or as the prophet referred to it a couple of different times, the dawn of the seventh morning. In our hearts, we're thinking, is it true? Is it really a place that's, that's that real? That there'll be no death and no sorrow. That it will all be peace and joy and happiness and no sickness and no trouble. Because truly, it does seem too good to be true. Seems like that it would be a story. Remember, we're not the only ones that believe and project such a place and the story of Gilgamesh and the story of the ancient Persians and stories of the Babylonians and the Greeks. They also have many such stories, but theirs is not the first one, of course. There are only carnal impersonators of that which is the original story. But from the original, we know that this great author himself was unlike the authors of the story of Gilgamesh, the stories of the Parthians, or the stories of the Greeks, or even the Gnostics. This one came to the earth to make sure that everyone who wanted to go would be able to have a ticket in their hand. The others are truly fictitious. They're made up, nothing of reality. They promise no eternal life. And needless to say, they do not give you anything in this life to help you get there, except blindly taking what they say. But this story is a different story. 
the author himself coming to this earth to impart to us his own nature, his divine life. When he was here, he started out his kingdom in a very, very small way. He did not come with the annunciation of great men. There was not uh, great, great men that come around him. There was a few wise men that come seeking him. There were shepherds. There was humble people that was there at his birth. Yet the majority of the great people of the world never even knew he was here. His birth was not announced by Herod. It was not proclaimed from the different earthly seats of royalty. Most of them lived their own lives. They heard about him maybe from time to time, ridiculed it, put it off as if it was another passing fad that in a few years it would be faded away. But he called around him sometimes the people that were the off-scouring, the people that would be considered to be the filth of the world. The people that others wouldn't even have anything to do. And he took people like that and transformed them. And made their lives into something that was a phenomenal miracle. Which only almighty God himself could do. Now our setting will begin this morning in Matthew chapter 19. And it is with the apostles that the Lord Jesus is conversing in some private moments that we know in several settings of the Gospels that he did. And that was that he would set them aside and talk to them apart from the crowd. And he would speak to them in words that was very intimate and very personal. I'm glad he still does the same thing today, aren't you? This is one of those settings to where that Jesus has given them the word and he's talking to the disciples and uh, talking to them about the kingdom of heaven. Then he leads up to a certain spot and Simon Peter, uh, which was also very assertive, we know, he begins to say these words in Matthew chapter 19 verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all. And followed thee. What shall we have therefore? Now, you know, Peter was the type of man that basically said what he thought. What he thought wasn't always appropriate and proper. And many times he only opened his mouth to change feet. And this was one of those times. You imagine all that they had given up in comparison to what the Lord Jesus had given up. But yet Peter, you know, looking at he'd give up his fishing job and he'd give up, no doubt it was a difficult, I'm not saying that they hadn't given up some, some things for him, but in comparison to what the Lord Jesus had given up, they had given up nothing. No doubt some of you have given up a lot of things, but in comparison to what he gave up, you've given up nothing. I have given up nothing compared to what he gave for us. The Lord Jesus could have rebuked him, and really it would have been very fitting to have rebuked him. But instead of doing that, the Lord Jesus answers with a very profound proclamation. And that is, he's ushering in part of the mystery of the kingdom of heaven. 
Uh, you know, it's one thing I love about him that he takes situations that's maybe leading up into it. It's not, not always perfect, but he takes the situation and turns it around and makes it something to his glory. Now notice his response in verse 28. And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, in the regeneration. Now remember, Matthew was the one who penned this. He wrote it down several years after the Lord Jesus had already ascended. None of the rest of the apostles quote this this way. This word is only used two times in the New Testament, here and in the book of Titus. Titus, of course, written by Paul, and Paul uses this same word, but in reference to the rebirth of men. Notice how he frames this word, and he said that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now let's look at this word, regeneration. The Greek word, you can read it. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. But it means new birth or reproduction, renewal or recreation or recreation as we would say. The production of a new life consecrated to God. Look at the second part of the meaning of this word. The word often used to denote the restoration of a thing to its pristine state. So it's not then making something which has not already been, but it is actually bringing that something back to its pristine condition. Now this is the word that the Lord Jesus uses when he's defining the kingdom that he's fixing to come into shortly. Remember, only two days after he said this as far as God's time is concerned. So it is a thing in its pristine state. It's renovation as a renewal or restoration of life after death. The renovation of the earth after the deluge. The renewal of the world to take place after its destruction by fire. So Jesus takes this time frame when Peter asked this question, and Lord, you know, we've given up mother, father, houses, land, so on and so on. So what are you going to give us back for all that we've given up for you? So then the Lord Jesus goes into a question, no doubt, that probably baffled Apostle Peter and the others as they heard this. Now, probably without the Holy Ghost, they did not understand exactly what Jesus was getting at. Because he come to establish as the Son of God, the kingdom of God in the hearts of the people under the church ages. But here he identifies the dispensation that he's referring to as the Son of Man. The Son of Man, when he has come in his power, then you will share with me and you will rule on 12 thrones. Now the Hebrew terminology for this is the word judge and rule was an identification of not just judging but also in rulership. Notice this in Judges 3.9. When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them 
them even Othanel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. Now this is, the, of course, during the time frame of the book of Judges. So what this means was that God in this dispensation was using people, Deborah one of them, to be able to be a ruler over the people of God. These people are not kings, they are not prophets, but they are identified in the book of Judges as judges, which means that they were temporary rulers, some of them 20 years, some 15 years, some 5 years, Judges 12, 7, and Jephthah judged Israel six years, then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. So here the Lord Jesus is giving them, now you imagine to the apostles when they hear this terminology, that the Lord Jesus says that when you have followed me in the regeneration, the Son of Man will sit on his throne, and you will also accompany me in 12 thrones. And whether it's 12 natural thrones or 12 thrones in spiritual symbolism, we'll see. But yet the point is that they will actually reign with the Lord Jesus. But the important key is they must follow him in the regeneration. Now, the regeneration, of course, has three phases that leads to the consummation of the new birth. That is, far as what we know under the gospel, that is justification, sanctification, baptism of the Holy Ghost. The people of God down through the age that have followed him in the stage of the regeneration as far as they lived in their day will be the ones that will be in the millennium. The prophet tells us in the church age book that the foolish virgin, many of those others, will miss the millennium, which he said we are found out is more important than we ever thought. Now you imagine the millennium is still unfolding to the prophet in 1965, right? So whenever we look at what the millennium involves, being the bride's honeymoon, then it is going to be a kingdom that is going to be set upon the earth, and it will be a restoration plus multiplication of what the Garden of Eden was in the beginning. So the earth itself will return to what its fertility was and its value was. The sun will be seven times brighter than what it is now. The winter time will be past. The earth will be straightened back up on her axis shall no longer be tilted and the people on the earth will be living they'll be enjoying life they will be planting gardens they will be taking care of their animals the natural people not living in glorified bodies will be giving birth children will be brought forth the wolf and the lamb will feed together the ox the bear the lion all the carnivorous animals will totally be changed by the grace of God Oh my. And the Lord Jesus will establish his kingdom from Jerusalem. In the city of Jerusalem, Mount Zion, the city of truth, the place of righteousness, all these attributes, Jehovah Shammah, that he's given to her from there, she will go forth. Now, believing then that God is going to do this, there must be a changing of nature. 
There's got to be a change not only of human beings, but there must be a change of everything about the earth itself. We don't know how many times the earth has been an instrument which God has used in different cycles. But we're able to look in Genesis and see in Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, period. How long that was, the prophet said, it's none of our business. It could have been millions of years or billions of years. But then we see, of course, in verse 2, we see another phase of the earth. So we see earth 1 was in verse 1. And then we see earth 2 in verse 2. Then we come up to the Andalusian destruction and we see earth 3. Now remember it is the same ball, the same sphere of the earth, but it is God in his divine purpose doing something with the earth which he had never quite done before. So when the Lord Jesus speaks this word, he has in his mind of what the new birth will be not only for man, but what the new birth will be for earth and for all of the cosmic nature of everything in the universe that will be there in the eighth day. Myself, I can't rightly say if all the stars, planets, all that will be there or not. I really don't know. But I know whatever is there will be absolutely wonderful. I'll say that. So whatever is included in that will be truly marvelous to me. So when we look at it then the Lord Jesus wanted to project something. I wonder myself how many times that the apostles must have sat down after they got the Holy Ghost and began to talk about this passage of scripture and begin to wonder in their minds brother Jim because these guys were the ones arguing and debating about who's going to be the greatest who gets to sit on the right hand the left hand on the kingdom and you're the Lord Jesus in one sense of the word would seem to feed that that vanity and that pride of theirs by telling them that he knows they're going to be born again he knows they're going to be new creatures and when they are they will reprocess this promise not with the realm of carnality but being regenerated themselves and once a regenerated person takes the promise of the word they read it totally different a theologian can study this bible and know that there's men around the world that know the bible and can quote it and preach it better than any of us message people ever could but yet being unregenerate there's no way they'll see what a housewife and the message will be able to see in the message of the hour why? Because regeneration puts a whole new light on the passages that you've read all of your entire life. Now, notice then that God made an interrelation in between the earth and man when he placed him on the earth. So God, of course, you know in Genesis 2, then God brings the man. The man, of course, was the spirit being first. And then we see God bring the spirit man into a natural earthly body. So there's a man in Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 26. There's another man in Genesis 2. And there's another promise of a man in Genesis Genesis 3, that is the promised seed. So God brings the spiritual man in Genesis 1, then he puts him in a natural earthly body of a man in Genesis 2. And then God made this man, of course, to have dominion over the fishes of the sea, fowls of the air, over everything that was on the earth. So it put the earth in a beautiful, beautiful, pristine condition. Up to that time, it was Almighty God under the care of the cherubims or the angels, whatever more. And we don't know for sure how long the earth was in the state but man came on the sixth day or the final day of God's creative work then you move over into the seventh
seventh, which was the millennium. But in this, we find that whenever man fell, then it threw everything under his dominion under the same fall that he was under. I love the way that Paul catches it, unlike any other writer in the Old and the New Testament, in the book of Romans chapter 8. And Paul was led by the Spirit of God, we believe, to be able to write this word, and if you'll read with me carefully, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, actually, in the Greek there, the word creature is, is rendered creation. So it is the earnest expectation of the creation waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. So Paul here personifies the world as if the world is a human. And as if though the world has a way of expecting things and saying things. And uh, we will go on to read here that he expresses it as if though the world can cry and the world can sorrow and the world can actually feel pain. So he says the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now as I said here, he personifies the world as the prophets in the Old Testament many times would personify creation. Notice here in a couple of passages in, in Psalms 96, 11, Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar as if though the sea would talk and the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein, then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice. Notice again Psalms 98.8. Let the floods clap their hands. So you see, the prophetic way many times would be to uh, personalize creation as if though it had the ability to talk, it had the ability to groan, it had the ability to clap its hands. So here Paul catches the same mindset as an Old Testament prophet. David said, let the flood clap their hands, let the hills be joyful together. Isaiah 55.12, for you shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. Again, the prophets personalizing nature. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now once you notice then, God is not only going to change man, but God must change nature. God must change the earth. He must change the cycle. He must change the days of length upon the earth. He must change the cycle. He must change her status, how she stands upright, that four seasons must disappear. And remember there was a time prior to the fall of man that there were not any seasons upon the earth. Everything was more like a tropical type of an atmosphere. And we know that even science today is so worried about the gases and all the things that are coming upon the earth. And you know, my, the politicians are screaming this and that and the other. And if we don't change all this, the earth will be destroyed. The earth will never be destroyed. Oh my, the one to get rid of her cows and one to get rid of her cars and one to get rid of this and that and the other. And we know, you know, that's the way politicians are. But we've got a promise in God's word, this earth will never be annihilated. 
And we know that certainly can manifest many things, no doubt it can. But we know from scientific research, their own science proves that many, many millions of years ago, that the carbon dioxide that we even hold now was in a very small reading compared to what it was years ago. And they're scared the ice is going to be melting on the top. And the ice is going to be melting on the bottom. Why? Of course it's going to melt. We ain't going to have that in a millennium. Notice the words that Paul uses in describing uh, the, the universe or the cosmos, the entire order. He uses the word suffering in Romans 8.18. He uses the word vanity in Romans 8.20. He uses the word bondage in Romans 8.21. And corruption in 8.21. And pain in Romans 8.22. So here he's personalizing the earth and giving it a voice. As if the prophet would become the voice by which the earth would be able to express how she's feeling. So he's letting the people know, look, you all are not the only ones that's wanting a change. You all are part of that, yes. But you are only part of that order by which God is going to bring it back into view. The earth was never made to be the state she's in today. The world was never made to hold the sinners that's on her in this day. And you know as well as I do every day we live on this earth this world becomes more unfitted for us as children of God everywhere you look is filth and rottenness and corruption of the world oh how we're longing for the coming of the Lord Jesus Notice he says the expectation, earnest expectation, the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. Now, of course, man was once the most excellent specimen of creation that God had placed upon the earth. In him was ingenuity. In him was ability to be able to sing. And God never gave this, of course, to the animals. But man would look at the animals. And the scripture tells us that God brought the animals to the man. And the man, no doubt, would look at them and he'd watch them and he'd see their identification and he would pick a name or pick an identity by which he wanted to classify himself. Call that a horse. I'll call that a cow. I'll call that an elephant. I'll call that an ostrich. And the scripture said whatever name that Adam gave to the animals was the name that they were called by. Can you imagine God bringing millions of species to the man and the man standing there in the stead, oh my, of a son of God in his place upon the earth and God left them nameless for a purpose and the purpose was that his son which bore his image might be able to reflect what his father would do if he was standing there I don't believe God had to change one animal's name I don't believe there's one species that man named wrong oh God hasten the day when sons of God can come back to such a state so the man excelled in the highest of God's order he excelled above the animal life above botany life because he bore in him in two ways the image of God. He bore in him in Genesis 1 the supernatural image and he bore in Genesis 2 the image that appeared in the form of the Logos which was the Son of God. Now remember this was the visible image of God that come out of that great light and in that he was made after the image of God. God is invisible so the scripture tells us. So this was the image of the Logos that looked like a man to be projected millennium on down the road like Jesus. No doubt it had his same features color so on and so on and God was able now
now to be able to bring this inner relationship with man and nature and the earth. And when man fell, then it must have been a horrible, terrible day whenever this broke away from that. I want you to notice in Genesis 3.17, Unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened to the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground. Now God never cursed the man. He never cursed the woman. But he did curse the serpent. And he cursed the earth. What had the earth done? What did the earth do? What did the earth, how did the earth sin? It did not sin. Did the lion sin? Did the animal sin? They never sin. But they were under the man's dominion. And when the man fell, God could not curse his son, but he cursed his son's domain. Notice then God said, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Now notice a change now that comes into nature. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. So we see then that God now brings something on the earth which apparently was not there or they were not there in the multiplied form that Adam is fixing to deal with them and that is thorns and thistles. Now let's look at this for a little bit. Uh, let's, let's, I hope you can follow with me on this thought. Let's look at thorns in a little bit different version away from just the natural thorn and a symbolism. No, Numbers 33:55. but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those which yet remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides. So now God is taking a thorn in a symbol that the thorn will be in the sides of the children of Israel if they don't drive out the parasites, the Havites, and we know that according to the scripture, that's exactly what happened. So God said, now I want you to get rid of all this evil. I want you to get rid of this sin and don't you plan on marrying their wives. I don't want none of my Israelite boys marrying them Canaanite girls because it'll cause problems. And he said, if you don't do it, it'll be a thorn in your side. Notice then. So a human, one human can be a thorn in the side of another human. Now don't you sit there and look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. All of you have got thorns. Human thorns, I mean. How many's ever been stopped by a natural thorn? It hurts, don't it? Them little things can be so sharp and you say, oh my goodness, that hurts so bad. And you're looking for it and you can't even find where it penetrated you and yet it hurts you so bad. So notice how that when thorns are introduced, that it's not just the natural sense, of course, out on the field there, but it's spiritual as well. Ezekiel 28, 24, and there shall no more be a prickling briar unto the house of Israel, nor any grieving thorn of all that are round about them, again, comparing people to briars and thorns, that despise them. They shall know that I am the Lord God. But thorns are also a sign of desolation and laziness. Watch this in Proverbs 24, 30. I went by the field of the slothful, and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was all grown over with thorns 
thorns and nettles had covered the face thereof and the stone wall thereof was broken down. So when you see this one then, it is a sign that the owner of this property did not get out there and dig out all of these thorns. So it was a sign of negligence. Well, I hope somebody's going to hear me preach this morning. My goodness, we left the universe and come right back down into Happy Valley Church, didn't we? Boy, y'all loved it when we were soaring out there amongst the stars, didn't you? Well, come down amongst the dirt bags where we all live at. As much as I love the stardust, I deal with dirt bags a whole lot more than I do stardust. Well, it's dust, needless to say. Now, notice then, so you watch people in their lives, and when they go to allowing thorns to be able to penetrate their walk with God, this is what happens to their estate. Now, liken yourself as a child of God to God allocating you so much house and land and property, so on, so that's your spiritual estate. Then it's left up to you. Remember, Adam was not called to plant the trees. Adam was not called to be able to sow them initially. Adam was called to dress them and keep them. Two simple words. Dress and keep. If you look at your vocation as a child of God, that's what you're called to do with what God gives you. You're called to dress your walk. You're called to dress your prayer life. You're called to dress your convocation to God. You're called to dress and keep your spiritual domain or what? The devil will take it away from you. You're not called to save yourself. You're not called to give yourself the Holy Ghost. You're not called to give yourself rashing faith. You're called to dress and keep. And if you dress and keep, he will take care of everything everything else. So the slothful person though, they become lazy, they don't pray, they don't read their Bible, you know, they don't come to church as often as they started out when their desire was burning so much in their heart. And then they find this thorn gouging and that thorn gouging and another thorn. And before long, the thorns have taken over their estate. Well, praise the Lord. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 5. Now go to. I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof and it shall be eaten up and break down the wall thereof and it shall be trodden down. I will lay it waste and it shall not be pruned nor dig but there shall come up briars and thorns. Now look, this is God speaking to the people of Israel. I planted you. I gave you this inheritance but if you don't do what I'm going to tell you then this is what's going to happen to you. Briars and thorns. I will also come man the clouds that they rain no not notice not only you gonna get briars and thorns you ain't gonna get no rain isn't it amazing you ever seen anybody out chopping thorns just to make them grow better how in the world is it they can multiply and grow like they grow and you struggle and struggle with your maters and taters and cucumbers if you look at yourself and compare yourself naturally to the natural crop on the earth you'll see the very epitome of your life what is it about us? The thorny side of us has had to have no miracle grow. The thorny side of us don't need no preacher to dig about it. The thorny side, oh, I hope y'all going to preach with me today. The thorny side of us don't need nobody to fertilize it. And it will grow and grow. And you constantly have to keep it cut back. And why is it the spiritual side of you that you struggle and you struggle? And it's got to be watered. It's got to be dug about. And it seems like you look at your little old cross and you think I'm ashamed of myself and your thorny side is busting out the windows it's knocking down the doors it's taking over thorns and thistles it shall be unto you so Adam from this point on is going to struggle 
to produce what he needs to eat. And what he don't want is going to explode. That's Donnie one and one. And Joel one and one. And Gene one and one. And you one and one. That's your life. After you're a Christian. <laughs> Notice verse 24. With arrows and bows shall men come to them because all the land shall become briars and thorns. And on all hills there shall be digged with a mattock. There shall not come hither the fear of briars and thorns. But it shall be for the, oh my, sending forth of the oxen. Notice in Ecclesiastes 7, 6, the thorns are used for fuel. As the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. So they cut down thorns and burned them. But you don't burn seed. Not if you got any sense anyway. They were used for fences. Hosea 2.6 Therefore behold I will hedge up thy way with thorns and make a wall that she will not find her path. And notice God taking thorns now and using it as a fence. Micah 7, 4. The best of them is a briar. The most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. And the day of thy watchman, thy visitation cometh, now shall be their perplexion. Now look, I've been in the Serengeti, in the plains of Africa, been in Tanzania and Kenya, which borders there, the Serengeti. And in there, the Maasai, the tribesmen, they still use to this very day. They don't have stone fences, nor do they have wire fences, woven wire, but they use briars, the side of the acacia, and the acacia has a big long briar on it, and they will actually make these fences around their places. They will bring all of their cattle in, and sheep, most of the part cattle, but they will bring them in at the evening time, and they will close the gate. Their houses, everything they do is inside this thorn hedge. What for? Because the lion on the outside will kill them if they don't. So God says because of this Adam, I am going to bring thorns and thistles. Isn't it amazing when the son of man came upon the earth part of the original curse was used to crown Matthew 27, 29, and when they had planted a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. So the king is crowned with thorns. The thorns didn't see it and the devil didn't see it. But this is prophecy being fulfilled. Crown the king with thorns and thorn just lost its kingdom. <laughs> its dominion has now been terminated. Notice 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Unless I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh. That's right. 
the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest at any time I should be exalted above measure. Now, wait a minute, we're talking about a man that is born again, right? Y'all believe? Paul was born again. Paul had the Holy Ghost. Paul was a man that was a prophet of God. Why didn't God give him a scripture? Why not give him a scripture, brother? Let the scripture humble him. Don't you understand why you need tests and trials of life? Y'all hear enough scripture preached from behind this pulpit, my goodness, to be able to change the world. But in reality, what's God have to do? God has to turn some of us over his knee and wear us out because we're so stubborn and hard-headed sometimes. I've told you before, whenever I got out of line, my legal name is Donald Lee Reagan Jr. When I got out of line when I was at home and I heard my mama say, Donald Lee Reagan, I knew the wrath of God or the wrath of mama. <laughs> that legal name never come into view. My mama was a good mama. Absolutely. But I was always called Donnie until I got in trouble. Come on, some of y'all smiling. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all ain't heard it. You done use it on your own youngins. So there's something about it. Now think, why would God, why would God have to give to this man a thorn in the flesh? Now I hope this don't stagger you. But we can see from looking about Paul that in Paul's flesh that Paul still had an arrogant element about him. There was an element about Paul that couldn't have worked around his pride. Well, I'm going to preach with or without you. It was an element about his pride and his arrogance. Well, the Lord showed me this, and the Lord showed me that, and the Lord showed me. A lot of folks think that's spiritual. It shows how carnal they are when they go around telling everybody what God shows them. Well, praise the Lord. I guess from this point on, I'm by myself, huh? No amens, no ouches, nothing. Now, pride is naturally in the heart of every man. Every man, woman, boy, or girl, whenever we are born, of course, we're there. It's elevated in some greater than the other. But even in people like this that are born again, and here was Paul still dealing with, what was it? It's the old black dog. Call it whatever you want to call it. It's still the same thing. It's the unregenerate part of human nature. And every one of you that's sitting here today as saintly as you can be, and no doubt you hung your angel wings up on the outside so they wouldn't be crushed in the back of the pew but you're still unregenerate in your body I don't care how much you talk in tongues how much you jump sing or shout you've still got an element about you that's as carnal and low down and sorry and rotten A lot of folks have a whole lot more pride after they get saved than they ever did before they got saved. You imagine Brother Branham saying the sisters can let their hair grow out and start wearing nice dresses and they go to looking at themselves and thinking that they're pretty because of that long hair. Think of most of the adulteries that happen in the message church. Where are they among message people? Don't think it's just message men running out here. Well, come on, don't get quiet on me. Why? Because that thing is among us and we're human beings and it needs to be dealt with from time to time. And I'm going to deal with it if this is the time this morning. Well, praise God. So here was a thorn in the earth. I mean, flesh. What's amazing is though, he doesn't complain about it. 
He's come to a realization by the territory where that he realized, and he said, it was given to me. Can you imagine this man identifies this thorn as a gift? God gave me this, but it's for my good because it humbles me. Well, praise the Lord. So Paul had a ben- an understanding of the benefits of this. That's when it would hit him. And then it would. Man, I'm glad I'm past that. Well, that was about the worst time I've ever dealt with that. And then God would go to revealing stuff to him again, writing down stuff. He said, Lord, have mercy. That's so wonderful. I bet Peter ain't preaching this. I didn't mean it, Lord. I'm sorry. I see right now I might as well just stop because y'all are identifying thorns in your life, right? To some of you, it's, it's a big piece of bread with butter and honey on it. That's your thorn in life. Others of you, it's somebody you work with. It's your job. And some of you, maybe your wife or husband or, or children. Notice this. Brother Branham, deals with this in the Hebrews. He said, Paul saw that light in so much that it even blinded him. He couldn't see for several days. And it was such a reality to him. He couldn't see for later on when he wrote. His eyes bothered him so bad from that until he wrote with great big letters. He said, seeing that I've written to you with large letters, he couldn't hardly see. He was in jail. And he asked the Lord to heal him of it. He consulted him three times. But what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient. Paul said then, well, I glory in my infirmities. Because he said, except I would be exalted above the abundance of the revelation that was given to me a messenger of the devil. Lord of mercy. A thorn in the flesh to buffet me. He'd get better for a while. And then away they go again. Buffet means blow after blow. Like a ship on the sea, you know. Waves buffet at sea. Blow after blow. He would get better. And then he'd have it again. Then get better. Have it again. Lord, I hope somebody's hearing me preach this morning. He said, Lord, what's the matter? You don't take this away from me. And he said, my grace is sufficient. Now that's an answer that you want to hear, but an answer that you really don't want to hear. You understand? Because with that, you know, oh no. Oh no. I'm not going to have a total deliverance until the ground changes. Praise God. Isn't it amazing he didn't say this thorn was in his soul? Or this thorn was in his spirit? But the thorn was in the ground. Where did God say, Adam, because of this thorns and thistles? You'll deal with and you'll chop them out and they'll explode and you'll chop them out and they'll blow, they'll just blow completely beyond your imagination. 
Again, Hebrews, he said, now if it was just perfect, everything perfect, well, then I went along, oh, I get all puffed up and say, you see, nothing wrong with me. The Lord takes care of me, brother. Hallelujah. So some of you, who your folks turn it in prayer requests all the time of sickness, and you sit there with your chest all bloated out, you might ought to be careful. You might be the next one with gout. You might be the next one with a kidney stone. Because you understand what you're doing? You're exalting yourself above your other brothers and sisters. Saying, well, the Lord takes care of me. Hallelujah. It's been 32 years since I took an aspirin, dummy. You got a headache and God put something on the earth to help you. You won't take it. What's the matter with you? My faith, your faith, nothing. It's a bunch of hogwash and tradition. Woo! Boy, it's hot in here this morning, isn't it? Man. You understand people can have spiritual pride but such? You see, nothing wrong with me. The Lord takes care of me, brother. Hallelujah. Then you're getting self-righteous. God has to give you a little something once in a while to keep you meeking up. Ain't that a good English word? Meeking you up a little, you know. That's right, kind of make you realize he's the boss. So apparently from time to time we forget who the boss is. Well, if we forget who it is, apparently we don't know who it is and we're thinking we're the boss. Oh, isn't he wonderful? Yes, sir. Just glory. Imagine saying a statement like that. saying he's the boss. Oh, so he pulled in right after having this great experience. Now, that would have been somebody today that said, oh, bless God. Hallelujah. Boy, the Lord has done something for me. Glory to God. Ah. Well, the Lord shows me this. I'm this and that and the other. I'm just about one of the greatest preachers in the message. I'll tell you one thought. I'm just our church, our singers, our music, our, 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 our. Who are you promoting? You? Or Jesus. Praise the Lord. We notice in Paul the great revelation that he had of Jesus Christ, who he was. It was so great to know. God put it in the Bible. That's how great it was. That's the reason he was given a thorn in the flesh to keep him down. So he wouldn't get kind of big and exalted. God kept him down and small so he could use him in different parts of the country. Oh my, he wanted to do because he had the revelation of who Jesus Christ was. Now wait a minute, what about the new birth? What about the new birth? I mean, doesn't the new birth eradicate all this stuff? Where did you get that trash? The Bible does not teach any such nonsense, nor does the message. You might as well face the fact you're packing a briar patch around with you. And some of them thorns you're blaming on your wife. Actually, ain't your wife's thorns, it's yours. Which are so close together, they intertwine sometimes and try to have a hard time figuring out which one's hers and which one's yours. They're both called pain, they're both called bleeding. Notice present stage, Brother Ram said, Paul said that. Oh, you'd at least plucked out your eyes and give them to me because Paul, we think, had bad eyes. Because he said, I wrote with such big letters. So you imagine, here comes the pillar of fire and it's the day of his conversion. And it's so bright that it leaves the man and scars the tissue in his eyes. Yeah. Schofield says it's opithalmia. 
So whenever it would come up and it would swell and cause his eyes to be all swelling out, pus would run out of his eyes. And your brother Bram picks it up and said his eyes was bad and he had to write with great big old size letters because he couldn't see. Imagine a man preaching divine healing and got big scythes and claws on his eyes and he looks horrible. And God did that because he was mean. God did that because he loved Paul. And Paul's pride and arrogance would have gotten his way. Praise the Lord. You see, preachers have to be careful. They get exalted. They get to thinking they're something. They are a dirtbag. Come on, saints. You might as well say amen. Preachers are no more than other dirtbags other than they just got a different kind of gift than what you got. They're not holy men. They're not great angels to be worshipped. They are human beings and they need your prayer. That's right. They deal with thorns and thistles just like you do. Notice Galatians 4.13. Brother Daniel, come down there to Galatians 4.13. You know how through infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at first. And my temptation which was in my flesh ye despise not nor reject it but receive me as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus. And God loves this man so much. According to 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he said, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. Smite and smite and hit and hit. And then it would humble him. His spirit would be chastised. And then God would ease up on him. Back off, devil. Then God would give him another revelation about redemption. Or maybe the blood. Or maybe it's the Hebrews, Harry, after he wrote about the great sacrifice. And all of a sudden, Paul would feel himself. Anybody heard Peter preaching this? I'm the only one that's wrote the book of Hebrews. I must be special. I'm so glad he wrote this. Aren't you glad he wrote this? Genesis 3.18, God said, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Oh my. Thistles are the noxious plants representing all forms of poisonous weeds. Mm -hmm. Job 31.40, let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Now out of Job's bitterness, he's saying these things. Let thistles grow. Let cockle grow. Let the wheat not even be seen. Where is this coming from? Out of Job's own being. Now come on, don't sit there and look at me and tell me you don't get bitter sometimes. Hosea 10, 8, the high places also of Avon and the sin of Israel shall be destroyed. The thorn and the thistle shall come up on their altars and they shall say to the mountains, cover us and to the hills fall on us. Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but they are inwardly, they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? You ready? 
Thistles multiply enormously. A species called Carolina Sylvestris bears ordinarily 20 to 40 heads, each containing 100 to 150 seeds. Now, wouldn't that be something if a shock of corn done that? Now, wouldn't it be something if you had one mater plant and that one mater plant done that? But you got to grub around it and grub around it and dig it and spray it and spray it and hope it don't get the blight and hope it don't get this and hope it don't get that. Come on, saints. You understand the spiritual parallel? Why is Christians that love God with all of our heart, why do we still struggle? Because the earth and us is still under this. Another species called Acanthum vulgari produces over a hundred heads, each containing three to four hundred seeds. If these thistles produce a medium, only eighty heads, and that each contains only three hundred seeds, the first crop from these would amount to twenty-four thousand. Let these be sown, and their crop will amount to five hundred and seventy-six million. But what about kindness and meekness and gentleness and mercy and prayer life and reading your Bible and church attendance and doing good unto one another? You plant that seed and it comes back, you can put it on the end of your little finger. Wow, praise God. Look at my harvest. Wow. Man, ain't I a fruitful Christian? Where's your microscope? Look at that. Look at that. Come on, children. Be honest. Let's be honest this morning and face the truth. And some of you struggle because you love God with all of your hearts. And you wonder why am I not producing more? Why is not more the reality of God around my life? I feel coldness. I feel Laodicea. What's wrong with me, God? So you jump from 24,000 to 576 million. So these and their produce will be 13 billion 824 million. Does that sound like you on Monday? And you look and you say, God, please. I believe we're hearing the truth. I believe we've got the truth. I want to produce it, Lord. I want to live this word. Why do I struggle with things, Lord? Why? What in the world is going on with me? I might as well quit. No. Never let that be part of your vocabulary. I'm going back. I'm waving the white flag of surrender. Look in your backpack of your words. You ain't got no white flag of surrender. It don't come in your equipment from the throne of God to surrender. So from the first crop, we jumped to 24,000. Let that be sown. We now have 576 million. So these and their produce will be 13 billion, 824 million. 
as a single crop. And this is only the third year growth. The third year growth. And we're producing billions. Billions. Brother Donnie, please stop. No, I got one more stage to bring you to. Notice, a single crop from these, which is only the third year's growth, which amount to 300, listen to this, 331 trillion, 776 billion. When God said they was going to multiply, he meant multiply. I realize it's a good thing maters don't do this. I mean, you'd be made or crazy. I mean, some of y'all that plant a garden and probably at the end of the season, sometimes you wonder, is it even worth it? Is it even worth it? I can go down to Farmer John's and spend a whole lot less and get a whole lot more than what I've done. I labor for this and you look at it spiritually and think, Lord, where am I from where I was six months ago? Where am I today from where I was a year ago? Have I grown? Have I moved God or have I lost ground? And you look at your carnality, you look at your human element, and for some of you, it's bothering you more and more and more and more. You might as well be honest and say amen. And some of these losing battles, you're not gaining victories, you're losing. But remember when the children of Israel moved into the land and God designated their land after they conquered and took all that God allocated to them, then much of their battles was not gaining new ground, but keeping what they already had. We're not just trying to fight my brother, sister to gain this and that and the other. It's to keep our justification. It's to keep our sanctification. It's to keep our baptism of the Holy Ghost flowing with the fruits of the Spirit. Fourth year's growth. Seven quadrillion nine hundred and sixty two trillion six hundred and twenty four billion. Oh, some of y'all thought I was talking about our national debt. No, this is your debt. This is our carnality. A progeny more than sufficient to stock not only the surface of the whole world, but many of the planets of our solar system. So that no other plant or vegetable could possibly grow, allowing but the space of one square foot for plant. And you plant your big boy tomatoes and you plant your Kentucky Wonder green beans and you plant, oh, we'll have some good green beans and you go out there and there's bugs all over. And you say, what in the world happened to them maters? My goodness, look at them marshmallows. Well, well, they was doing so good. I can't figure it out. It come too much rain. And it's salt. Well, look at them spots on them tomatoes. Where do you go? Go to Lowe's. You go to Evergreen. Uh, could you tell me I've got some of these big tomatoes and I took this paper, this picture on my iPhone. I've got these spots. Well, you've got this and you spray this on top of that and then you add this over here to this or that. Look, that's your child of God. It's your walk with God. So God sends a little bit of pasture spray. And then God sends a little bit of evangelist spray. And God rebukes a little bit and God chastises and he does this and that. What? In order for you to produce what you're supposed to be 
and you look out here at your flesh, it don't need no encouraging. It don't need nobody to come along. You know, you just say, oh God, I don't know what in the world's going on. It proves my brother, sister, you're in the right field at the right place at the right time. Adam, you're going to bring forth, but you're going to do it in labor. Genesis 2.15, and I'll find a place to close. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden. Look at the word put. Y'all knock. To rest. Settle down. And remain. In reality, isn't that what we want? Peace, happiness. Wouldn't it be nice to have a few days in life where there wasn't no troubles? Can you imagine living on this old troubled world without, you know, oh my goodness, you're not. Here's one phone call, one text, one email away, and you're just enjoying life and everything's going good, and one text, you're devastated. So man was not put here on the earth to live an idle life. Look, God told him, placed him down in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. Oh my. Remember the herbs were being eaten by the animals. But Adam was a tree eater. Fruits from the tree. The earth had produced its productivity with such relatively low amount of work needed from the man that all the man needed to do every now and then was just go out and just kind of dress it a little bit. He didn't have to get... No. Just dress it up. Be just a few little trimmers, trim up here, dress a little there, and you just walk around and take it easy all day. Just kind of hang out with God. So dress and keep, which means watch over, which lets him know there's an enemy around somewhere that's going to be looking for an entrance into this garden. So in order to enjoy the fullness of his benefits, that's all he has to do. It's just dress. And keep. But after. Genesis 3.18. Thorns also and thistles. Shall it bring forth to thee. And thou shalt eat. Of the herb. Of the field. So his tree eating. In the sense of the garden of Eden trees. Were cut off. Now he's to eat herbs. Roughage. And you're going to labor for every bite. You get This is why, friends, it's easier for some folks to be sinners than it is to be a real child of God. It don't take much to be a church member, but to be a real manifested son or daughter of God, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to cost you. But it'll cost you to go to hell, so you just have to figure out which price you want to pay. Let's close with this, and we'll, we'll stop for today. In Genesis 3.19, in the sweat of thy face, 
shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. Dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. So thorns and thistles started springing up. Man started having thorns of life, difficulties, piercing them. To this very day, the sons of Adam bear in their bodies the marks of thorns. For some of you, it's your health. For some of you, it's your finances. For some of you, it's family members that you have no control over and there's nothing you can do to change them, but it's still a thorn in your side. The job you work or people you work with. And when you've sought God and sought God and you don't know what to do, you may have to come to a spot like you did with Paul and hear him echo back, my grace is sufficient. Let's stand. But let me put it to you this way. If you're a farmer, you come looking for produce. You've got all these briars, nettles, jimson weed, whatever more. Thousands times thousands of them. But you're looking for something to eat. Would you go through a drive and order a thorn sandwich? How about a nettle sandwich? Briar sandwich? Could you give me a single with ketchup and cheese? And oh yeah, give me a tomato and give me Brother Daniel since he don't like tomatoes either. And then give me a pickle. And give me lettuce. So all you're talking about is things that's required labor to grow. Or you can go out here and eat something off the field if you wish. So when the Lord Jesus comes, the rapture is not for gems and wheat. It's not for nettles and thorns and briars. It's for the precious fruits of the earth that he has labored himself for thousands of years. And in comparison, the number will be so small to the populace of the earth. So small. It will be a tithing of the earth. And the majority have always and will always be lost. But he's coming to set his table. So he wants fruits. So he labors and labors. How many sermons has God got invested in you so far? In your walk with God. How many reckon, Brother Dow, God's got invested in you? I wonder how many has God invested in me that he'd prepare a sermon for me. God, maybe some of it be four or five lines in a preacher's sermon. Maybe the whole sermon was for me. And God went to that special care and labor and caused that servant of God to study and study, break out of the confines of where he's even going, like I did this morning. So I had no plans on going this way today. But the great farmer wanted me to. So I know when he wants me to, somebody needs it. Mm -hmm. So he'll pick one here 
one there. Pick one here. Praise God. Mine and Harry's grandmother, my daddy's mom, we all called her mom. And bless her heart, she liked gardens in the summertime. I hated them things. I'm just being honest. I'm sorry. We had to build a fire to can them and she'd take them big old wash tubs. Y'all know what them big old wash tubs are. And I mean, Harry'd have to build a fire under it and keep them thing going. It's 90 in the shade. You're burning up the way it was and the heat rising off that things. Mom wanted to can. And then we'd go over to Purdue's and get apples, and, you know, go here and get that and this and that and the other. To me, it seemed like an absolute waste of time. Of course, I wasn't the one buying the groceries at the grocery store either. Mm -hmm. All night long, we'd take them cans in. And Mom had an old shelf up in her closet there. Harry probably remembers it sitting up in on top. And she'd set them in the kitchen and set them here and there and there. All night long, we'd hear them cans. They'd be going. Y'all heard that? You know what that meant was? Another one got sealed. Glory! Oh, hallelujah! Praise be to God. But boy, when it got snowy and cold outside, I sure was glad my mom opened up them apples with them green beans and fixed us some stuff in there. It seemed like it kind of reduced the labor, you know? You imagine when we see him that day? All that we've been through in our life and all that we've suffered because of his great cause. When we see his face, just that alone, when we see his face, all of our burdens, all of our troubles, Brother Louis, all of our fire building and all the water packing and whatever more that we had to do to raise this little small crop in our life. Lord, children, what will it be when we get there? Probably most of us feel like we've done so little. I ran into somebody the other day. Don't come to the church here, but I know them and they know me. And I was laying some stone at the house and making a water garden. And said, what are you doing? I said, I'm making a water garden. I said, my other job, I have to wait till the end of the way to see if I've done any good or not. I give my whole life for it. And I spend hours and days and weeks and months and years. But I really don't know how much success I've had. So I have to do a little something in this life that I can look at to feel like I've accomplished something. Let's see, your brothers can take a tube of fours and tube of sixes and tube of tens and a hammer and a nail gun and this and that and other of the crew, and you can throw a house up and say, wow, guys, you've done a good job. Brother Dow can take a paintbrush and some paint and go in an old house that looks awful. And you brothers can do all different kinds of things. You sisters can take a bolt of material and transform it into a dress and think, my. But a preacher gives his whole life for whatever he's doing. And really, he don't know. He don't know. Because people that love you today next week may hate you. People that's on fire for God today next year may not even darken a church door. You give your whole life for people and then you wait to the end of the way. And you walk up and think, Lord, have mercy. There's only five. There's only ten. There's only twenty. But you see, it's the way that God looks at them. Twenty that's His is worth more than millions out here. Look at your life. May God help you. Are you going to labor? Yes. Will it be difficult? Yes. But it will be so worth it. 
I can just imagine her that day as she will walk up before the throne. It will not be to be judged, but it will be for rewards. She will walk up and think, oh God, what have I done? I was just a housewife. I never wasn't a preacher. I don't think I want any souls to you, Lord. She'll walk up before the Lord Jesus. They will look at her and say, my daughter, enter into my joys. You remember when I burdened you that day to pray and pray that God would send a move in your community? Yes, Master. There was an evangelist that come in and you cleaned, helped clean out an old stable, an old place where he could come and preach. Yes, Master. There was a little ragged, long-haired boy come give his heart to God. Yes, Master. That boy led thousands, times thousands, to Christ. You are identified in His reward. Praise God. Or maybe the part-time lay preacher that was preaching in the Presbyterian church in England a couple of hundred years ago. He wasn't a very gifted man, wasn't a very great speaker. But that particular night, a man comes in to hear him, and he was quite disappointed because the pastor wasn't there. So God took this fillion, this spare tar. And he said words that were so simple, only went about 15 minutes, but it so went into the heart of that man. That man met God in a true conversion, and God used him to turn England upside down. You feel to pray for the preachers. You say, oh, I've never preached. God lays it on your heart to pray for Brother Daryl. Pray for him. God lays it on your heart to pray for these preachers. Now I'm preaching. Pray for them. Pray for meetings. What's God wanting to do? Identify you at the de- that day with rewards. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, when we stand before you that day, Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord. We do not want to work down here for rewards there. We want to work because we love you. We want to do things because we care for you and care for your people. I know they don't know it, but when they get there that day, they will have such a reward just from what they've done here. But Lord, they don't want to settle for that. They want to follow you in any direction that you lead them. So if it's to drop a card, a text, an email to someone to encourage them, if it's to say a kind word to someone that might help lift their burden, help us all to be more sensitive, Lord. As we looked at it Wednesday night, that the God who comforteth us may help us to comfort others no matter what they're going through in life. 
Lord Jesus, I don't desire reward. I do desire fruit. I want to do whatever you've sent me to do. I'm not a great preacher. I'm not a great spokesman. I've made so many mistakes. Lord, I know that our church will never compare to many. But we're not in a comparing game. We want to be all you want us to be. So I, I, I don't want to be in comparison to Brother Tim. I can never be like him. Brother Mike Price, Brother Ron Spencer, known around the world and preaching great services and helping your people. Lord, I just want to be what you want me to be. I want to fulfill what you've placed upon my heart with everything in me. When it's all said and done, I may not have but a handful of tomatoes and a few cucumbers and a few almonds and some walnuts and some apples and peaches and pears as it was. But Lord, help me to be faithful over what you've given me. Lord, I'll labor, I'll pray, I'll spend hours on end studying, searching, looking, listening. Lord, that I can find something that will help them. Lord, if one person was helped here today, all the studying I've done for this service will be worth it. Oh, and ten times more. Lord, if they can get just a little bit of more nutrients to be able to help them grow, there'll be enough thorn stuff there that'll fight them. But if they can get enough nutrients from your word to help them be more fruitful, Lord, may you help each of us today. How many of you raise your hand with me today? You'd like to be remembered. You want to be a more fruitful, bountiful Christian. Can you be honest before God and say, I still have thorns. I still have thistles. I need God's help. Lord Jesus, our hands raised on both accounts. We want to be more fruitful, Lord. We want to produce your word in our hearts and our lives. We don't want to just talk the talk. We want to walk the walk. We want Christ Jesus to be manifested out of our lives. And then, Lord, on the other part, we desire, Lord, that you would help us with these thorns. Dear God, it's our old sticky nature. What a parallel it was when the prophet likened it to that carnal, sticky nature. You always had that carnal, sticky nature, and it's going to bother you as long as you live. Not only did Adam's fall bring it upon the ground... But it brought it upon us as human beings. Lord Jesus, we know that your grace will be sufficient to help us. We know there's things about us that will bother us until we're changed. But we do believe you desire to bring those things subject to the word. We don't believe you want no thorns controlling our lives. We don't believe you want no besetting sins controlling our lives. Oh, it may aggravate us. There may be weaknesses in our minds, our bodies, whatever more. They may raise their head up blow to blow. But in between blows, we get victory. Amen. Lord, I pray you'd help us today. I pray the mattock of the word has been taken, Lord. Praise be to God. Lord Jesus, may we grub out these things in our lives. Help us, Father, to be what you want us to be. We love you, Lord. Amen. Turn and shake hands with somebody and tell them, God bless you. It's been good to be in the house of the Lord. Sing something for us. Here.
Can we just worship him together just a little bit before we go? I know you got lunch and all that, but it'll be waiting on you. Praise God. Has it been good to be in church today? Yes, Lord. And Lord, don't refuse me. Surely there's a work even I can do. Yes, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord God. It may be small. It may be insignificant and humble. God, help my will.
bless you, saints. Go in the fear of God. We pray with these prayer calls. Heavenly Father, I wore this handkerchief, Lord, in this prayer cloth today, dear Jesus. You see these needs. You see this baby that was born just a few days ago, Lord, in the NIC unit. You see, Heavenly Father, the needs that it has. I ask you today, Father, that you'd be mindful. You see the spiritual state of its mother and father. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, move. Lord, this other prayer cloth for Brother Howard Collins. You see this needs in his body, Lord. We just agree together with our brother that you would just touch him, Lord. Bring healing to his body, we ask. In Jesus' name. God bless you, saints. See you, Lord, well in Wednesday. You get a little bit of a break next weekend. I'm going to bring in a special, 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 special preacher next weekend. So you get a little bit of a break away from this old guy that you've been listening to. God bless you, brother. Could we say this and not be out of order? Donald Lee Reagan. That was one fine message this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, are you glad to be part of it? Happy Valley ain't all of it, but we're part of it. God has been so good to us. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Be careful. When you leave the parking lot this morning, it's raining a little bit out here. Be slick. Just really watch leaving the parking lot if you would this morning. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Come back Wednesday night. It'll be church all over again. God bless you as you're dismissed. Sing it, Brother Harry, if you would, as we leave this. Morning. Oh, Jesus, use me. And oh, Lord, don't refuse me. Refuse.